Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With more than 200 songs to his credit, Frank Stallone is a musical force in his own right, as is his older brother, Sylvester Stallone. I do some blues, which I love playing guitar. And then I do some acoustic stuff, and then I do some of my rock stuff from, like, the movies. Travel Channel celebrity Andrew Zimmern, best known as the host of Bizarre Foods, boldly takes our palates where many of us fear to go. The bug eating is a very small part of the show. Pauline Fromer has been traveling since she was four months old, thanks to her dad, budget travel legend Arthur Fromer. Patricia Schultz is the author of the world's best-selling travel book, 1,000 Places to See Before You Die, serves up some sage travel advice. You don't want to just do a road trip in America through all of our great national parks, each one more beautiful than the next. You really want to mix it up. Join us as we talk to travel and entertainment superstars and visit the United States Virgin Islands and Turks and Caicos on World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Later in the hour, we'll talk to best-selling author Patricia Schultz about the thousand places in the world and in North America that she thinks we should see before we die. Also coming up on World Footprints, Travel Channel host Andrew Zimmern joins us from the Adventure Travel Expo in Washington, D.C. to discuss the bizarre foods he eats around the world from his perspective as a chef. And travel writer Pauline Frommer will offer a fresh take on budget travel and explain how we can see more while paying less. We'll also shine a spotlight on the U.S. Virgin Islands and Turks and Caicos. who pursue their passion, and more so those who identify their passion at an early age and pursue it with commitment. Frank Stallone is one such person. From an early age, he knew that music would play a dominant role in his life. His early insights brought him Academy Award nominations in both acting and singing, Grammy and Golden Globe nominations, among many others. His unique style has paved the way for artists like Harry Connick Jr., Rod Stewart, and Michael Buble. And Frank, I'm so happy to welcome you to our show. Thank you. You know, I never thought I'd hear Rod Stewart and Michael Buble <laughs> in the same uh, sentence there. That's a, that's a very broad uh, range of uh, and diverse style that you have going on. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I really started for myself uh, in the 80s after I lost my record deal after staying alive and Music started becoming more techno, hip-hop, and stuff like that. So I figured, well, let me just try something different that no one's doing. So then I figured I'd start doing the American Songbook. And so for my era, I was like one of the first guys of my era. Before that, uh, she's a little older, would be Lynn Ronstadt, obviously was one. And Harry Nilsson was another one, but they were, you know, in the 70s. So I, I did it, and I figured, well, this will make me more of like an alternative band, because mm-hmm. uh, no one because no one was really doing that kind of music then, you know? I financed it myself. I found a great conductor in, in, in Sammy Nestico and Billy May. And we did the albums in a few days, just like in the old days, you know, and uh, <clears throat> got great responses uh, from, like, Tony Bennett, Sammy Kahn. Wow. nominated for 23 Academy Awards. And, you know, it's all up on my uh, website, frankstallone.com. But the other thing was trying to make it cohesive, because, you know, when I started doing it, people thought, ah, it's old people's music. I said, well, I'm not old. I like it, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So, and then all these other guys, like Harry Connick, they kind of came in, you know, pretty easy. I mean, Harry 
came in on Harry Met Sally. So basically, he was a young guy that could play and sing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had a big movie thing behind him, which propelled him, and he had great management and all that stuff. Michael Bublé, on the other hand, had Paul Anka and David Foster, you know, bring, bring them in. I never had that. I had to do it myself and just take the chance. But little by little, I started, you know, doing concerts. And it started catching on, but it's still always a tough road because, you know, it's almost like they, they think, you know, I, I just started it when in, <laughs> when in reality I was doing it like when they were still like in junior high school. Right. It's kind of a funny experience. So when you're going through those those phases, I mean, you went through a phase where you're a street singer to a rock singer to a big band singer. Were those different phases where you were actually trying to discover your own voice or were those all of your voices? Well, they are all of my voices because as a kid, I mean, I was influenced by everything. It was a great era to to belong. You know, it was a great era to belong with, you know, with the coming of Elvis Presley and the Beatles and the Stones, the English invasion, all that stuff. It was just a very exciting time for music. And so for me, I loved all kinds of music. I mean, I loved everything. Even when I was a rock guy, like Frank Sinatra, like Mario Alonzo, I liked all the stuff. And the, and the thing was, I was very blessed by God that I really could sing the stuff. So I had albums to all these genres. I could I could do it. I knew how to do it. And that, in some ways, could have been a detriment to me as well, because there's some people that just sound one way and can just sing one way. And there are others that, uh, you know, that are a little more versatile. So my show that I do now, which I've been working on for the last year, year and a half with my band, I, I do everything in my show now. I do the big band. I do some blues, which I love playing guitar, and then I do some acoustic stuff, and then I do some of my rock stuff from, like, the movies, like uh, Staying Alive and some of the stuff from Rocky, some of the stuff from Rambo. So I kind of learned how to juxtapose it and put it all in the show, and it all works, Mm -hmm. and people love it. So I go from Cole Porter to Frank Stallone to Muddy Waters to Woody Guthrie and then back to Bobby Darren. I mean, so it's the whole thing. And the reason I did it, I said, well, I don't, it's not, people said, well, are you showing off? I said, absolutely not. It's just who I am. I mean, I just, it's just who I am. I can do a lot of different styles. A ticket to your show gives you, you know, one ticket for several different performances. <laughs> it seems like, you yeah, know, bigger yeah. bang for your buck there. <laughs> well, I've always called myself a bit of a musical schizophrenic, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, Michael Sambella, my dear friend who wrote the song Maniac for Flashdance, he is also a musical schizophrenic. And the thing is, it's just that we like all kinds of different music. Like sometimes, I got to tell you, after a few drinks and the show's going, well, all of a sudden one night we just dropped, jumped into Foxy Lady by Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> and people went, what the heck is going on here? Here's Stallone putting his guitar behind his neck doing Jimi Hendrix. I mean, it's just crazy. Oh. But I love it, though. I mean, I think Jimi Hendrix, I mean, when I first heard him, I said, I've never heard a guitar sound like this. So he's a complete original, you know, mm-hmm. and and you have to respect that, you know. When I look at Frank Sinatra, you know, and Michael Bublé, he's a nice kid, but all these guys, there is no next Frank Sinatra. There was just one Frank Sinatra, and you know, God blessed him with him as Frank Sinatra. I'm Frank Stallone. I sound like me. Do I have influences by other people? Absolutely. How could you not be? I mean, the only people that didn't have sound like anybody else were people like Beethoven or Bach. Or people like that because there was no one around to steal from. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's you know, talking 1814. I mean, so when you, <laughs> when you think about Wagner and stuff, it wasn't like you know they were like like taking stuff off the internet. You know, they were writing with a pen and quill. And the only few people that sounded really original, obviously, well, the Beatles were great, but they'll tell you right away they copied Beverly Brothers, all the stuff, and you can hear it in their harmonies. Like Cat Stevens was original sounding. No one sounded like him. Joni Mitchell, nobody really sounded like her. She had her own way of playing and stuff like that. So there are a few that slipped by. You've performed in a number of concert halls all over the world. Do you have a favorite venue, or is there a place where you believe your music resonates with the crowds most? I mean, I I, I can tell you when I uh, studied uh, in China, um, Kenny G was a superhero to the huge, Chinese. Huge, um, huge. But, you know, is, it, is there a place that, you know, people really get you and, and they, you know, they just, they want you? I mean, more so I'll than... I'll tell you where it was. I'll tell you where it was. I've, I've had places that you've never heard of. They're just little venues. They're just filled with love and energy. are great. 
But I'd say like concert halls, I would say when I toured England, the mm-hmm. northern and, and the northern midlands of England in the 90s, because they were going through a depression, they're going through financial problems. But the English, you know, they love the big band stuff. The, you know, the British people love music, like the Irish. They're musical people. They love music, and they love the classics, and they like, you know, I kind of got a weird sense of humor, so the British kind of like the weird sense of humor. <laughs> so it all kind of comes together. Italy, I couldn't do it. Couldn't get arrested in Italy. I'm Italian. Just couldn't because <laughs> they like their own kind of music. You know, Australia was huge. I played in Australia about a year and a half ago. And but the thing is, the most important thing is having fun on stage. The thing is, laughter and fun is infectious. People love it. That's why look at Jimmy Buffett. Here's a guy who had one hit record. He makes seven hundred thousand dollars a concert. Mm. Because he connected to the average Joe. He's mm-hmm. not pretentious. He's just, he's kind of a fun guy that has fun on stage. Mm-hmm. It's like Springsteen goes on stage. He has serious moments, but he has fun. It's like, hey, man, welcome to the party. And some guys just go on stage, go through the motions, and they're pretty boring. You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian Antonia Fitzpatrick, and we're talking to singer and songwriter Frank Stallone. I have to ask you, you know, you've been in over 50 films. How on earth, I mean, first of all, do you sleep? And really, how do you balance live performances with a grueling production schedule? And do you prefer one art form over the other? I must say, uh, yeah, I've done close to 60 movies, but I must say this. Music is really, I mean, that's where I'm really out of and that's where I'm really from. And, I, and, you know, and I, and I love the idea of making movies. I love the idea of getting up, going to work. I'm like a type of guy that's never late. You know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just old school. I'm just never late. I show up, do my job. Uh, the music is instantaneous, which is just wonderful. I don't have to worry about things because I don't have a family. I've never been married. So I don't really have to worry about that responsibility, thank God. So I don't have to, you know, uh, when are you coming home? I go, in two years, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's more important, me or your music? I said, well, you know that answer. So, I mean, so that's kind of been the ruination of my, uh, and, you know, they asked me yesterday on a TV show, they go, how come you never got married? I said, well, I, I guess I just forgot. <laughs> I guess I, I waited around, I forgot. I don't know. I mean, there's really no answer. It wasn't like something that was a... Uh, you know, a pre-planned thing. It just, as time went on, I forgot. You know, you're addicted to what you do. You know, that's what you do for a living. We right. do music. Well, I, I hope you find your way back to Silver Spring, which was your birthplace, I understand. I cannot believe. Is that where you live? That's where we are. You know, I lived on 1957. I don't think it's a landmark anymore. <laughs> 1957 <laughs> Seminary Road. That's where I grew up. Oh, I went my gosh. to Woodland School, which was right down the street. My brother went to Montgomery Hills Junior High School, which is right next to us. There was a drugstore called B-Mars, and there were Silver's. Snyder's Market is still there. I remember when I was a kid, Snyder's Market was just a little tiny hole in the wall in that little shopping center, and it was sawdust on the floor. It was a little, little tiny shopping center, <laughs> and it was a real one-horse town. There was the Silver Movie Theater, which we all went to. Wow. I think that's still there. I think it's kind of a landmark. Silver Theater right on George Avenue. Well, they, it's uh, an AFI now, American Film Institute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. I'm one that didn't tear it down, because that's where I saw Elvis Presley in Love Me Tender. Oh, <laughs> wow. It's... Well, that was the only movie theater, that and the RKO Roth. Yeah, I mean, listen, that was my roots. My mother was born and raised in D.C., Northwest. My father came over from Italy uh, was when he was 13, was raised in Northwest. And I grew up basically in Silver Spring. I mean, I went to St. Jude's mm-hmm. up in Wheaton. I went to military school, Charlottesville Military Academy in Prince Mary's County in, Le- in Leonardtown. Wow. And, yeah, so, I mean, you know, we were part of that, of that whole scene. I mean... I still have a lot of relatives there. You know, my my grandparents died there. They're you know, you know, buried there. So I mean, the thing was, it's just that we lived in Potomac when it was nothing. I mean, my father played polo out on Travilla Road when Potomac was absolutely nothing. It was just there were no streetlights. We drive from Silver Spring out to the polo games out in Potomac. And it was just all of a sudden in the middle of a field was this polo field, and you'd see all these Cadillacs come pulling up the dirt road on the weekend to watch polo. Wow. And 
Robert Mitchum used to come there, and it was, but it was in the middle of nowhere. It did Rockville. My parents got divorced in Rockville Courthouse. There was nothing there. It would look like something out of Andy and Mayberry. There was a little theater called the Rockville, and it was just a whole, like where I lived in Silver Spring, where on Seminary Road, it was something out of a night, it was something out of like the Music Man, the 1950s. Mm. It was just very Americana. You know, the only people that weren't really what you call white bread America was our family. <laughs> and there was a family that was two doors down that were from Morocco. But other than that, it was lily, lily, lily white. It was not ethnic at all. That's changed, too. But I think it, it's, you know, when when you do come back here, and it's nice to know that you still come back here uh, every so often, we certainly uh, would love to see you. And, and uh, I know your show, I would assume your show calendar, your event calendar is on your website, frankstallone.com? It is. It, okay. It is, and it's on my Facebook, which is you. I change my picture every day. And on my Twitter is uh, Stallone, at Stallone4, the number four real. And my website is frankstallone.com. And, of course, you know, I'm all the bells and whistles, Facebook and stuff. Fun. I mean, I miss Maryland. I miss the, you know, we used to call them blue point crabs, and now they call them blue crabs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, but I, I still come down there. My friend lives out in, uh, out in uh, Potomac. So I, got, I might be out there this summer, but the closest thing I'll be playing there on the East Coast will be a place called Mohegan Sun. It's an Indian casino in Connecticut. It's an awesome place. Okay. I'll be there July 10th, Mohegan Sun. And then I'm doing a TV show with Daryl Hall called Live from Daryl's House. That'll be leaving for there for about a week. And so we're just uh, doing, you know, this and that, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, we we will and, certainly uh, we will certainly meet um, in the very near near future, and I have a ton of stories to tell you to share with you about my um, deceased. Uh, he's now uh, now gone, but uh, my godfather, uh, who was from Bari, and um, he nearly really? got me, yeah he nearly got me in trouble uh, with the Italian ambassador. He you know taught me. Italian, but only bad words, and unfortunately... Well, of course, so you always get caught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I almost actually responded to the Italian ambassador in my quest to respond, you know, in, in kind uh, to his language, you know, to uh, Italian when he was speaking to me. Uh, I almost I almost said a bad word. Uh, and luckily there you I caught go, myself. Okay. And, yeah, and, so you've been in good company. Yeah, I know, I know. But, Frank, thank you so much for, for joining us today uh, on, on World Footprints. Thank you, dear, and uh, we will stay in touch, and uh, we have all our numbers and things, so we'll do it. All right. All right, my dear. Thank you, dear. Pleasure. To follow Frank Stallone, go to frankstallone.com or on Twitter, at Stallone. Visit this show page on worldfootprints.com for a direct link. In this destination spotlight, it's off to the United States Virgin Islands with Luana Wheatley. I am Luana Wheatley. Uh, with the U.S. Virgin Islands. Welcome. Uh, I wanted to just talk a little bit about the islands, which are St. Thomas, St. John, St. Croix, and probably the little, the littlest known of the of the islands, which is Water Island. For that primarily residential, but it is in the harbor of Charlotte Amalia. It's great. Um, uh, it has a wonderful beach called Honeymoon Beach and a great little bars, little uh, shacks on it. But it's uh, you, you get to the island by ferry, you rent a little uh, golf cart, and it takes you, you can take the golf cart right to the beach. So it's a very cute, quaint little uh, vacation. Um, you know, like I said, the main islands are St. Thomas, which probably most everybody knows, the cosmopolitan one, the old jazzy, snappy uh, sister. And then there's St. John, the little more homely, you know, uh, of the islands, but beautiful, very nature um full of uh, um, lots of forests and greenery. And then there's St. Croix, the largest of our Virgin Islands. It is uh, best known uh, for its two historic towns, Christiansted and Frederickstead. It's the one island that's completely surrounded by the Caribbean Sea, as well as it is the home of Tim Duncan, basketball star for the San Antonio Spurs. Um, it is also home to one of the only two underwater national monuments in the United States, which is Buck Island. 
So really, I'm encouraging everybody to to come down there. There are direct flights to St. Thomas for most of the major cities on the eastern seaboard. From uh, to St. Croix, there's a Delta direct flight out of Atlanta and a Miami out of Miami. There's a, a direct American Airlines flight. So no passport is required, which is probably a very important point as well. And so we, we, we have some fabulous promotions currently running now. So if you go to our website, visit usbi.com, you can learn a little bit more about the islands, what there is to do and see, and what kind of promotions we're offering right now. Thank you. Travel Channel celebrity host Andrew Zermern has traveled the world to experience some of the most unusual-looking foods that many of the world's people depend on for their survival. In spite of the entertainment value of eating things that appear grossly unappetizing, Andrew bridges cultures to show that there's a serious side to his adventures. We caught up with Andrew at the Adventure Travel Expo in Washington, D.C. We have our friend Andrew Zimmern, host of Bizarre Foods. But Andrew, honestly, you eat some really interesting um, things. Yeah, yeah I, do, I do, I do. <laughs> it, it, it's funny, you know, you paint a thousand pictures in your life and nobody calls you an artist. Uh, but you eat one Madagascar hissing cockroach and everybody calls you the bug guy. It's, uh, I, I like to think of those sort of moments as alternative foods, uh-huh. uh, especially for people who, you know, live in, on this continent in the Western Hemisphere Although in certain parts of even our, our culture, there's certainly a lot of people eating some very strange things. The, the bug eating is a very small part of the show. The intestine eating is a very small part of the show. But people seem to, to latch on to that as a very, very powerful moment for them. Well, I, I, I must say from the time that I've watched the show, you have inspired me to uh, take a chance on mm-hmm. things that may not look so copacetic. But, <laughs> Did uh, you like them? Uh, well, 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 we we may actually see me have one of these croquettes. I'm not I'm not sure, but Tanya right now is is, is about ready to ready to have one here. And well, they're they're okay. It's hard for me to get you into my time portal and right. go down to you know Oaxaca, Mexico, right. and go into a dusty little tavern on a really hot day and pour you a cold draft of beer and have them slide a bowl of, you know, instead of peanuts down in Oaxaca, they have bowls of lime juice and sea salt seasoned Mm. crickets. Crickets called chipolinas. And they're extraordinary. This is a pale version of them that's commercially available in the U.S. Really? Yeah, so I give the crickets down there about a... A uh, scale of one to ten, about a nine, and mm. I give those about a three. Okay, I'm going to try these. Are these, these, I have the salt and vinegar dried cricket. So those are the best one. They're fairly benign. They're fairly. You know, benign. they're good. Yeah, mm. it tastes like a potato chip. Exactly. Kind of. Mm. Honey, do you want to try one? Uh, I'm not quite <laughs> quite <laughs> there yet, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew, one of the things I wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. because you are combining a a love of food yep. with a love of travel mm-hmm. and. When we think about travel, we are often drawn by by the iconic places. But tell us about the iconic foods and the things that help define places from a culinary side. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, it's a great question. I tend to think that iconic places and iconic foods sort of go hand in hand. Even going back to when I was four or five years old and I go on ski weekends with my dad in southern Vermont, it was always like, well, where'd you eat? Mm -hmm. When you're you're taking a road trip, it's like, where are you going to eat? Whether it's a neighborhood barbecue shop or some temple of gastronomy in some city that's, you know, renowned for its, you know, everybody revolves, their travel revolves around eating, their travel revolves around seeing certain sights and sounds and smells. I think that travel is an immersive experience. Mm-hmm. I think that what makes travel so much fun is not being a tourist, but being a traveler. Yes. So when you put all that together, the last thing that I want to do is, is have a hamburger in, in Beijing. The last thing that I want to do is limit myself in any way. And so even when I was a very young traveler, I wanted to, you know, it's kind of sort of like that old cliche, you know, when in Rome. Mm-hmm. And once I saw that, that living that way and traveling that way was most exciting, I kind of developed a, a series of, you know, must-go-to, must-eat-at experiences. And I found that spending a day in Borough Market in London, I experienced more of London than mm-hmm. I did going to... 
the British Museum. Yes. And so I'm not arguing that you shouldn't walk into Tiananmen Square and visit the Great Hall of the People and the Forbidden City when you're in Beijing. That's one of my favorite things in the whole world. Mm -hmm. But to not go to, you know, Guangxi Men Night Market, mm -hmm. to not go to the Hutu District and dine mm -hmm. at the Red Capital Club, mm -hmm. to not walk through some of the side streets that everyone says, well, it's not a good idea to walk there, but to, to go there and eat the street food. To me, you're, you're not experiencing... Beijing, and yeah. you're you're not traveling. You're not you're not meeting Chinese people. Yeah. You're not out there with your feet on the ground. Yeah. And and I think that what our show, my idea for our show, was based around a simple principle that I wanted to take people behind the scenes into places and events and food experiences that they wouldn't ordinarily have because they didn't feel comfortable diving into them mouth first. And along the way. We tell the story of disappearing food pathways, alternative foods, last stop on the subway kind of mm -hmm. places, last bottle of Coca-Cola in the desert kind of experiences. You know, that to me is what makes travel exciting. You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. We're talking to travel channel celebrity and the host of Bizarre Foods, Andrew Zermon. Our listening audience knows I'm a foodie. I yeah. love to eat. Yeah. I love experimenting. I love seeking that authentic experience. Yeah. And, and that's what your show really, it does inspire. And I'll tell you, one of my pet peeves, and, and I hope I don't offend anyone out there, but when I lived in China, I loved to go eat off the street. Sure. I loved, you know, the local sure. restaurants. One of my pet peeves was the people that I traveled with who wanted to eat at Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's oh, know, every single crazy. day. Why travel there? It's, it's crazy. Go, go somewhere else. Now, I do happen to know a lot of those people, and some of them are <laughs> friends of mine. And one of the things that I've experienced in ta hashing it out with them is that they want to see all the other things that China yes. has to offer, but they're just not comfortable. So to a large degree, I'm like, you know, okay. There are Chinese versions of a place that has a simple chicken dish. Yes. There are Chinese places that have the their version of a simple beef dish, and they're just they're just scared of it because they're practicing contempt prior to investigation. So my show, I hope to get people just to experiment with the edges of their comfort zone. I'm not inviting people necessarily to come into my comfort zone, <laughs> but experiment with the edges of their own. I am ready to come to the edge of your comfort zone because I was so inspired by what you said that I'm now holding one of these salt and vinegar crickets, well, and I'm going to have one because I've been inspired. While you're, while you're chewing, let me just set this cricket up for a second. Okay. In our country, we don't eat bugs. 90% of the world eats bugs. Yes. And in fact, 44% of the country, it's a major protein source. I can there see are why. places in Thailand, in, in Southern Asia, in Africa... South America, where protein is scarce and people are still living close enough to the land that yes. reptiles, frogs, snake, lizard, bugs of all types are part of everyday cooking. And mm -hmm. there really is a right way and a wrong way to handle these products, just like there's a right way and a wrong way to cook a roasted chicken. And so when you say bugs are gross or eating you know, innards is gross... Try explaining a Kraft American cheese single in mm -hmm. wrapped in plastic yes. to a, a nomadic Berber in the Moroccan desert. I mean, they just will look at you like you're nuts. Mm -hmm. And the world's a very complex place. Yeah. And I think the more we celebrate our commonalities, like a love of food, mm -hmm. the less we'll focus on our differences. Absolutely. And coming from a family that uh, raised me on chitlins. <laughs> <laughs> Good chitlins. Chitlins are a great example. Yeah. When they're done right, they, they are fantastic. Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Andrew, we, we really enjoyed having you on the show. Andrew, My pleasure. thank you. And, My pleasure. And, and a thank you for bringing me to the end. <laughs> <laughs> to follow where Andrew Zermone's tasty travels take him, Go to andrewzermone.com or visit this show page on worldfootprints.com for a direct link. By the way, Zermone is spelled Z-I-M-M-E-R-N.
You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Just ahead, we'll sit down with best-selling travel author Patricia Schultz of 1,000 Places to See Before You Die. But in a moment, the daughter of budget travel guide sign, author Frommer, Patricia Frommer, joins us to talk about growing up Frommer and her experiences in travel and media. If you want more travel experiences beyond this radio show, visit our website, worldfootprints.com. is helping to build on the legacy that her father, budget travel writer Arthur Frommer, started in the 1950s. She is also carving a separate path for herself with her own travel guidebook. Pauline joins us to offer some valuable travel tips. Uh, Pauline, thank you for taking some time today to uh, to share your knowledge with us. Well, thank you so much. Just as often happens in travel, I was delayed <laughs> in getting to you, but I, I'm so glad to be here now, and my apologies once again. Oh, no, no worries. Problem. Thank you for joining us. You have just an amazing resource on, on your website, Frommer.com, of travel resources, budget travel hints, and I wanted to talk... Well, you know, I have my own line of guidebooks out now. The Pauline Fromer Guides. Yes, that's right. For adult budget travelers, but I was the founding editor of Fromers.com. It's my baby, and I think it's one of the best sites out there for travel because we put for free the text of all of the Fromer Guidebooks on the web. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so if you're going to Paris and you're looking for a restaurant, you can find it there, free. That that's that's the best bargain going. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of Paris and hotel prices and what have you, you know, there's been a lot in the news recently about hidden fees mm. um, at the hotels, and and there real really are ways to avoid them altogether. Talk a little bit about that well, and what we need to do. Hidden fees are a huge problem. Pricewaterhouse Coopers just recently did a study in which they found that hotels in the United States are now charging two billion dollars a year in hidden fees. Just three years ago, they were charging $500 million. So if you're planning to stay at a hotel, it's very important if you're booking on the web to read all the fine prints, because usually they'll hide those extra fees, but they do disclose them. So look for things like resort fees when they charge you to use the pool, even if you never take a swim, mm-hmm. uh, and fuel surcharges. And there's also things like delivery fees. If they deliver a package to your room now, they're going to charge you as well as the tip you're going to give to the guy. Mm-hmm. It's really incredible. So either you read the fine print carefully or you do what I do and what I recommend in the Pauline Fromer Guides, and that's avoid hotels. Uh, the truth is you can get great prices when instead of going to ho- a hotel, you rent an entire apartment or rent a room in someone's apartment or stay in a religious retreat house mm-hmm. or go to a monastery or convent in Italy. And I, I think that that just offers uh, a, a more realistic or, or more authentic experience. Absolutely. Really. Oh, and Absolutely. it's so much less expensive looking for the alternatives to hotels is so important, you know, if you want to have a dignified travel experience, Mm -hmm. but still save money. Pauline, Mm -hmm. that is so true. I took advantage of that in London many years ago when I was in in college and stayed with a family there on a a school trip, Mm -hmm. and it was the highlight of, of my trip to London because they had so much information about the city that is just so hard to come by, and they told us everything, uh, ways to save money and, 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 and just get more out of the city. So yeah, it's such an authentic way to travel. Place. It's so great. And then London, too, and in many cities around the world, if you're traveling in the summer, a lot of them open up their college dorms yes. to travelers. You can stay at the London School of Economics in graduate school housing. So these are nice little apartments well, for much less than you pay for a hotel. Well, I, I as, an, as an LSE alum, um, <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> I'm not, impressive. 
Well, thank you. I, I'm sure that between the time I graduated and now, the dorms have improved, but uh, <laughs> they, they were um, they were interesting but back in the day. They're in the center of London. They're very yeah. well located. Absolutely, absolutely. This is World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick, and we're talking to Pauline Fromer, the daughter of Arthur Fromer, the man who introduced the world to budget travel through his guidebooks. Pauline, I just wanted to ask you quickly about just enriching one's travel experience. We uh, hear a lot from the outdoors folks about uh, these nature deficits, but you're focused, too, on having more authentic and affordable travel experiences. Can you speak to some of those things that people can do? Well, you know, for me, my top travel experiences always involve meeting people. Yes, Mm -hmm. it's wonderful to go to the top of the Eiffel Tower and and see the Parthenon in Athens. But when I meet someone and I have a, a real interchange with them, it can make my vacation. And so in the Pauline Fromer Guides, we have a section called The Other, The Other London, The Other Paris, which tells you about unusual experiences you can have that will allow you to meet people in the places you're going. So if you're going to Hawaii, for example, we tell you about how you can go to Maui and spend just one day of your vacation volunteering with scientists studying endangered sea turtles. Mm -hmm. And you go to the beach with them and help count eggs and help guard the eggs. And it's a fascinating thing to do. In Paris, we tell you about there are these things called Café Philos, where people gather to argue the great philosophical questions. And you don't have to have a background in philosophy. Once a week at this one café, they do it in English. And it's the quintessential Mm. Parisian experience. There you are in the midst of Paris in a beautiful café, shouting at the top of your lungs about something important. Mm -hmm. We also tell you about cooking classes around the world, interesting night spots, When you go beyond the usual tourist track, you expand yourself as a person and you discover new sides to yourself and you see a more authentic side of the destination you are visiting. And that's what we try to encourage our readers to do. And similarly, what we try to encourage our our listeners to do, travel and cross-cultural understanding is one of our values. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. You know, a way that you can do it in a more advanced planning sort of way, there are these things called greeters tours, where locals lead uh, visitors on tours of their hometown. Uh, you, you find them now in New York, in Chicago, in Jamaica, all across Japan and Korea, also in Adelaide and Melbourne, Australia. And it's a wonderful way to see a place because these aren't trained tour guides. They're telling you about their community from their point of view. And mm-hmm. somehow it's very moving to be with somebody who says, oh, that was my grammar school. And, you know, when I was there, we would have to stay after school for an hour and clean the desks because mm-hmm. there wasn't enough money in the grammar school to hire curatorial staff. And you get a whole different view of the destination when you hear those personal stories. Pauline, we thank you for being with us today. We wish we could have spent more time with you. So but do I. Again, I thank you for being with us Well, we'll today. have you back, Pauline. Terrific. Anytime. To let Fromer plan your next trip, visit Fromers.com. That's F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S.com. We will also have a link to that website on this show page at worldfootprints.com. In this destination spotlight, we'll visit Turks and Caicos with help from Onika Simmons-Rigby. My name is Onika Simmons-Rigby. I am the marketing executive based in Turks and Caicos, and I'm here enjoying CTO Caribbean Week. Turks and Caicos is a multi-island destination. I think that is one of our strongest suits. So we encourage people to visit the other islands. When you come to Providenciales, which is the number one island in the world, we were just voted number one island in the world by 
TripAdvisor, the experience doesn't end there. Because we're a multi-island destination, you can get, you can visit, maybe go for a single-day excursion over to one of the other islands, do an eco-type adventure, a more laid-back, or if you're into something more exciting, uh, maybe historical tours of uh, plantation ruins, you can do that. Maybe cave exploration. Middle Caicos actually has the third largest cave network in the Western Hemisphere. This is Interx and Caicos. So this is what we we try to put on display for everyone. Uh, another thing, Turks and Caicos, the people of Turks and Caicos really make the destination unique. It is not about just the sun, sand, and sea. It is about the experience, the authentic Turks and Caicos experience. Our food, our music, our loving people. Thank you. Patricia Schultz has a lot of wonderful things that all of us should see, and whether it's Pennsylvania Dutch country or Table Mountain in South Africa to the Anne Frank House in Amsterdam and the Peruvian Amazon, these are just a handful of the wonderful places and treasures that author Patricia Schultz has identified as must-sees in her New York Times bestseller, 1,000 Places to See Before You Die. And one of the things that I've noted about your book is that you've got a lot of stuff in there about New York City. Uh, granted, it deserves it. It's one of the great cities. But there are a lot of other places, whether it's Santa Fe, New Mexico, or New Orleans in the United States, that also have attracted a lot of uh, attention in the book. And uh, it, oh, it's, well, always, uh, it's always great to see how uh, you kind of mix some of these places in there that uh, we may not always have on our radar screens. I tried very much to be even-handed, and I also tried to, at the same time, be realistic that you know there are certain cities and regions, uh, talking about the most recent book and the USA in particular, where the numbers go and where the people go, and if you know you go yourself, you see Japanese tourists and German tourists and Australian tourists have come from the other side of the globe, so I couldn't avoid the Orlandos and the Las Vegas mm -hmm. just because there's the obvious suspects. But I did try to have people understand that there's a reason that there's such iconic destinations that people come from all extremes to visit them because they are very unique and they are something um, you know, rare in the big picture. But then there are 999 other places that kind of flesh out and fill out the expanse, the possibilities. And North America, I think, is really unmatched. You know, when we decided to, after the World Book, do a second title that was about a specific country, or in this case, continent alone, I mean, it was a no-brainer because call me biased and because it's my home turf but north america <laughs> i mean i could do a thousand times a thousand as well the fact and i'm sure you've mentioned this at some point in your shows that less than a quarter of americans hold passports mm -hmm. and while i don't encourage that to continue i understand why people feel quite content and already overwhelmed with what we have here in our backyards because it's endless. It's an embarrassment of possibilities, as the expression goes. We're, we're so very fortunate. We really are when you think about it. And you being in D.C., I mean, you have half-day trips, one-day trips, weekend trips that could keep you busy for the next hundred years. Absolutely. You mentioned that there is essentially a bottomless grab bag of possibilities so how do you go about the daunting process of really selecting inclusions for your books? I know it's it's a 
and quit job. <laughs> but somebody had to bring it down and create just 1,000. So my real goal was to create a mix and to have a breadth and a variety of places, not just because it's the way I like to travel or it's what you know, calls out to me, but because I think that it's also the way the average person travels. You know, you don't want to just eat your way through South America, and you don't want to just see the great museums of Europe, or you don't want to just do a road trip in America through all of our great national parks, each one more beautiful than the next. You really want to mix it up, even if you don't realize that that's your game plan. At the end of it all, you realize that it was the people you met and the barbecue you had and the, the music festival you happened upon and that great historic inn where Mark Twain used to sleep and the, you know, et cetera, et cetera, because it's this package and it's this, you know, the grab bag that I mentioned before. I think that's what makes it so special so mm-hmm. that you can't come back the same person because you will have come back having experienced so much and seen so much and having met people and interacted and discussing different points of view, and travel changes you. And if you are very mono-directed, you won't come back as exhilarated or as experienced, I think. One of the things that that I really love about your book, your books really, is that you've included a lot of unconventional landmarks. And one that particularly struck me was Chicago's Superdog <laughs> Stand. How did that come to be part of your part part of your first book, That's A Thousand Places funny. to See? And Maury, the eighty-something-year-old owner, is now my new best friend. <laughs> Maury and Maury and Flory, those are their names. And they started as 20-something kids out of college who, you know, wanted to create a means of, you know, creating a family and feeding the kids and always having a... So they started this hot dog stand. Really what struck me with the hot dogs of Chicago and the barbecue of um, North Carolina and the pastrami of New York and the lobster rolls of Maine is that... Our regional hall of fame for all of these great gastronomic um, rarities that are, to some degree, no place elsewhere found with the same proliferation or to the same deliciousness or still being made by 5th century families. As it is in America, we still have this regional food map that a lot of foodies will really crisscross America following, you know, the best cherry pie in Wisconsin and that type of thing. It's still alive. It's still flourishing. It's still a very rich part of our history. And am I a food freak? Uh, No, but, you know, everybody likes to eat. And to eat regionally, you still can do very wonderfully in America. The whole Southwest cuisine in New Mexico with the chilies, et cetera, and all of the Mexican influence in California. It's a wonderful thing, and sometimes you bypass it because there is at the same time a real homogenous menu in the other 85% of our restaurants and eateries. So I like all that um, food that harks back generations, you know, the truck stops, the best pancakes, the best burger, you know, that type of thing. So I very much researched purposely to have that be a special element of this book, together with all of the other facets that I think make up travel in America. This is World Footprints Radio with Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're talking to New York Times best-selling travel writer Patricia Schultz about 1,000 places to see before you die. Tell us a little bit about your new book, um, some of the the surprises, some of the things that actually have surprised you, because I know you've been traveling. You just returned from Anguilla, and um, you know you're you're yeah, visiting some that some places that you're going to include. So the first book, A Thousand Places, was our world book, and then the second book, we took the USA chapter and Canada chapter from that first book, and found another nine hundred wondrous spots to create the North America book. For the third project, I was going to do A Thousand Places to See in Europe, and I had begun 
research and traveling, etc., when in fact we decided to shift gears and to go back to the original because it continues to be so very popular and just do a revision of the first book. Me being me <laughs> and knowing that not only am I a different person and have I seen so much since doing the first book, but also knowing that the world is a very different place in mm-hmm. the last 10 to 12 years, that what is happening, and the last person to be surprised is moi. The book is turning out to be an entirely new book, keeping all of the good stuff, but merging them and rethinking it and regrouping and leaving all kinds of space for the new places. Because, for example, um, this past spring I was in Croatia, and Slovenia and Montenegro. This is the former Yugoslavia plus Bosnia, Herzegovina and Serbia that um, when I was writing the book in the middle of the 90s was in the midst of a horrible war, the Balkan Wars. And there, I mean, tourism had dropped to sub-zero. Suddenly, these countries who are magnificent with a coastline in eastern Mediterranean that is Italy and France 50 years ago, before all of the commercialization, are so ready for tourism, embracing, encouraging, promoting, welcoming tourism, as well they should be because they have a magnificent history a wonderful people, and the Dalmatian coastline, for example, in Croatia, Dubrovnik, we've all heard of Dubrovnik, that Mm. you've just got to see. So that's a typical example of what didn't make it into the first book. Yeah. Before we came on today, I had a chance to look through the book again, and it does allow one to take a step back from one's travels and just realize, you know, trying to see these places it's not impossible it's 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 doable in one's lifetime and uh i feel like uh you know you know with the rest of the time that i have i've got a fighting chance to make it to the other uh 800 or so places there that i haven't been to and also you know ian is as americans we can travel so easily and we almost take that as a given and we almost just assume that so does the rest of the world and it's i'm you know it only takes one trip to anywhere to bring that realization back home that we can travel with facility that to some degree, at least up until the bottom fell out of our economy, that we had a certain, you know, a few bucks always of discretionary or spendable income that we were able to put aside to make these trips happen. But um, it's a very tough time financially if you want a guaranteed surefire long-term investment that you'll never lose, that will never depreciate, that will never rust or crack or break or get lost, then travel because those memories you'll have for the rest of your life. And what to me is worth a gabillion dollars is that I know that travel makes you a better person. I haven't figured it out yet. I don't know why or how or to what degree, superficially, profoundly, but I think that's a guarantee. I think that it will open you up, it'll open your head, your heart, your eyes, and you'll come back and you'll have had such a great time and you will have seen things, you will have met people. You will um, have a life that you're very proud of. And we look forward to your next book. And we thank you again, uh, Patricia Schultz, thank you author of much. A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. For more on Patricia Schultz, go to 1000, that's the number 1000, places.com. We will also have a link to that website on our show page at worldfootprints.com. Interesting to hear the conversation with Frank Stallone. Uh, I enjoyed it because Frank surprised me, and I didn't know this about him, that he was such an accomplished songwriter and musician and has such a tremendous passion, not just for music, but also for travels as uh, you got into that conversation with him. Yeah, and he may tend to live a little bit in the shadow of uh, his, his brother, Sylvester, um, but they have collaborated, and their relationship seems to be solid uh, as well. And I think that comes 
from his travel experiences and just really understanding what's important uh, in this world. And I think travel opens your eyes to uh, not only your own possibilities or one's own possibilities, but to the things that we really need to focus on for life enhancement. I also really enjoyed talking to Frank about our area, mm-hmm. and I think it may surprise a lot of people, you know, that uh, he and Sylvester grew up here and uh, in Silver Spring, Maryland, and, you know, some of the iconic landmarks that were around during his time here are still here. They're revised, like the, the theater, the Silver Theater, um, you know, now an AFI, and uh his high school and and what have you so that was that was kind of fun just to to share that uh, that commonality with him and then there was Andrew Zamern and as you know when we spoke to Andrew there was always this uh stress that was hanging over as to whether or not we would eat these insects uh with him and your stress i was well okay. yeah <laughs> i i was okay <laughs> eating eating them yeah, but uh, the larger thing I I think with Andrew that was revelatory to me was that he really put the focus on the fact that many people rely on eating things that we're not accustomed to, and that's just a daily staple for many folks. Right, right. I mean, it, you know, the the crickets. You don't think about that, and and he said, you know, the bugs and the other gross things. Just a small portion of what he what he. Uh, does what the show does, I mean, but it brings the highest, I suppose, entertainment value. But I, I like that he showcases or, or explains why uh, people eat certain foods. I mean, sometimes that's all they have. That's the only protein uh, that they have. And so I, I loved how he connected the, the dots. Um, and speaking of connecting the dots, you know, the Fromer family, um, a, another uh family team that uh, works in collaboration in addition to the Stallones, um, Pauline and uh, and her father, Arthur. And it's really nice to see how she's been able to kind of capitalize on what he started and build upon that and even build her own brand. And she was really delightful uh, to talk to. And I think one of the things that stood out with me with uh, listening to Pauline is that when you think of the travel guidebooks, you think of maybe going to the standard kinds of places, the iconic places. But she also offered a lot of encouragement to get out of the comfort zone, maybe have more of an immersion experience by staying in places like covenants and monasteries or, or, or staying in different types of places uh, in terms of uh, versus hotels just to have uh, a different experience, different immersion, and also save money. So that was good to hear. Mm-hmm. And I think as we think about Patricia Schultz, uh, again, getting off the beaten path, so many of those thousand places to see before you die are places that are not covered in traditional travel guides, right. which is why her book has become the best-selling travel guide of all time. Right, right. I remember when we, uh, when I mentioned you know, that we had spoken to her, somebody asked me, why... Why would she title a book, A Thousand Places to See Before You Die? And I actually asked her that question uh, the next time we, we spoke. And essentially, you know, there's so many places. Um, these thousands are her top picks. Um, but she can write, you know, she said, even in our area, in New York. But I, I think that the, the point is just to travel before you die. I mean, there's so many uh, places to explore. The, the world is such a beautiful, huge place. And um, those were just her picks. As we close, we'd like to leave you with a quote from Pat Conroy. Once you have traveled, the voyage never ends, but is played out over and over again in the quietest chambers. The mind can never break off from the journey. Thank you for joining us today. We're Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick, and we look forward to sharing our next journey with you on World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints Media, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award-winning radio show can be heard around the globe on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, and more. Visit worldfootprints.com for a complete list. World Footprints Radio is a leading voice in socially responsible travel. 
At worldfootprints.com, you'll find an archive of past broadcasts, travel news, reviews, and information you can use to deepen your travel experience. Listen, learn, and live it at worldfootprints.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.